0: Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: As I face our crowd here today and what a great group of people you are, I guess because we're not so large that I don't know you, I do know many of you. And I know that many of you have been going through all different kinds of struggles and trials. And if the truth be known, we really can't even compare the the scars that we have because one person can take a tragedy differently than another person. Some, without any humor, could take something that could be so difficult as a loss of a mate. And then others could feel the same kind of pain if they just lost their job. And so it's not really good for us to compare the scars, but it is good for us to not deny them that we hurt, that our brothers and sisters have trials, and that there truly is a balm, an ointment, a salve that can reach us and touch us. Now, if I could put trials into three general categories, some trials would be known as, we would call them, just daily inconveniences. A little thing that doesn't go right. The cell phone battery kind of quits on us and we we'll lose communication for a while. That's a kind of a little trial for the moment. It's just a daily inconvenience. And then there are some kinds of trials that they just seem to be piling up with finances and with our fitness, our health, and our family, issues with them, or our friends, And maybe even with some of our foes or enemies. And these are almost relentless on us. And some of you might feel that you have been going through so many trials that you're somewhat numb to them. You're just going through the motions and you're kind of dead inside. And when you hear there is a balm, an ointment in Christ, you're so far removed from that, you're just thinking that's just religious existential thinking. How can that touch me in my trials that are so deep? And then there's a third kind of trial, and that's the trial that we will face, perhaps most of us, and that will be the trial that we know that we are going to die. We cross over the threshold of our health, and we know that the medical field can only do so much to perhaps prolong a little bit longer of our life, perhaps minimize the pain, but we know that we are not getting better, and we will not get better apart from a miracle of God. And so we face this trial knowing we are We, we are, not someone we know, we are dying. And that's a trial for some people because that moves us into the greatest trial and that is the trial of where am I going to go when my heart stops and I die? I am afraid of dying. Now some may be more afraid of how they're going to die. Others are afraid of where they're going to go after they die. But that's a trial. Now whether it's a modern day simple inconvenience, or those of you that are gripped with the reality of not knowing where you're going to go when you die—that trial, there is a bomb, and we said it's in Gilead. But that bomb is really found in God's Word, and I want to speak to that for a moment because God's ointment that'll take you through the issues and trials of life isn't going to be just some Jesus that we grab a hold to and we lift our hands and praise. Although that's important, I want you to know that the way Christ can be the bomb, that ointment to us is through His Word applied to our spirit, soul, and mind by His Spirit. And so today, I'm hoping to bring to you the balm of Gilead, the Lord Jesus Christ, found in His Word to those of you that have certain kinds of trials in your life. It was a late one Wednesday night after a midweek service. Carol and I were locking up and the phone rang in the office and Carol was nearest, so she picked it up and she said Stan, um, there's a call from Gail. Well I knew who Gail was. As the pastor walks to the phone, you think about this person, it was a single mother who had a ten year old son and a seven year old son, whom she had raised just about her life of those children solely as a single parent. She really loved those boys and tried to build into them character. She grew particularly closer to the older boy because the older boy was one who would do things that were there was no man around the house, such as put gasoline in the car when you'd pull up and run in and pay this and do that, kind of things that a 10-year-old boy would do. And so I'm thinking about Gail and wondering why would she be calling this late on a Wednesday night? I picked up the phone and I said, Hi, Gail, what can I do for you? Immediately I could tell that there was a crashing and burning in her voice and she said, You have got to come to the hospital my two boys were riding tandem on the same skateboard they rolled down the hill into our cul-de-sac and a lady who was not licensed to drive hit both boys and both of them enveloped underneath the car and I have one boy at one hospital the other boy is at another hospital in a trauma unit would you come because I don't think he's going to live so I said I will Now I'm telling you this seriously and calmly. You can only imagine what a mother who has no one is going to do with two children who she thinks will probably be dead. And so we then get in the car and we go to the trauma unit first because that one seemed to be the closest to the most tragedy. When we arrived there, she met us as we were walking up to the doors and she was crying and she said, He is gone. He's gone. And they want me to go in to identify the body. And so we went in together with her and we did that. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation and I hope you never are personally first or even with a friend. So we got her through that little bit. And then we got in the car and we went to the other hospital and that boy did live. Now I'm only telling you this, it's only the bomb of Gilead that can help her with her pain. And whatever you're going through right now, I don't want you to deny it. Don't try to make it seem like it's okay. I've got pain. Everybody does. We'll get on with life. I want you to know that your pain is very real, but it really has purpose. And through today's message, If you will take the time to not only listen, but embrace it privately and let God do the deepest work in your life through the trials that you have, I believe two things will be accomplished to bring Him glory. First, you're going to know more about trials today. And secondly, I hope to give you something that you can do as you go through the trials so it makes some sense to you. Well, here we go. We're in the book of James. And I want you to think for a moment about James. James is writing to an audience of people who knew a lot about trial. This was an ethnic group that was fleeing because of their own ethnic persecution. And in the midst of all of that, they were fleeing because a part of them were also Christians and they were getting both barrels from different groups. Now when you hear the word fleeing, you think of, well, that's just a sociological group of people that were leaving a group of, of areas at a time. I want you to think for a moment, if you will, that these were mothers that were fleeing with their children and dads that were fleeing from their jobs, that they were having to pack up whatever they could pack up and as quickly as possible put them into a cart or put them on their back, or strap them to a donkey and go, God only knows where, to a place that they had nothing waiting for them when they got there. They were fleeing with a complete unknown. And some of them were fleeing with no money. They were fleeing with physical malady. They were fleeing with all the emotional problems and all the confusion of no organization. And now James is writing to those kinds of people that were alive then, very similar to us. Now I think about that for a moment because he introduces himself and then he launches right into a letter. Now usually when I write a letter to someone, I'll usually say something like Aloha and I'll give them the name and I'll do some you know, nice little communication to kind of get into what I want to say in a moment, warm them up, let them know that I care, and then go into this. Now, how would you like to get a letter from James where he says, Hi, this is James. By the way, I want you to know that you're going to have a lot of trials. You don't know when they're going to come. They're all going to be different kinds. They're going to be horrific trials. But by the way, be happy. Now, how would you like to get a letter like that from somebody? Well, that's what these people were getting. And I think he did it because God was saying, We don't have time for the small talk. I want you to know about trials. And I want you to know what to do when you get trials. And so I hope that maybe today, and I'm going to try to ease in a little bit more than James did, but it's hard to because he's so quick to get into this particular material here. Now, if you'll notice the one particular verse, I think it's important. It says here about trials, the key phrase is, because you know, consider it joy. And I'd like for all of us in here as I go through this message that you would consider this, that you would think about what I'm saying so that you will have an embracing to this truth that you'll consider it, consider joy when you go through the trials. And for some, that's going to be very difficult. And please, you are right when you say, Pastor, you don't know what my marriage is like. You've got a great marriage. You don't know what it's like with kids. You have your kids. You're right. I don't know that. But here's the important thing. It's not so much important that I'm actually feeling your exact pain. What is important is, I know you've got it. I know I know you have it and I know the balm in Gilead that can help you and so consider this if you will. Well I want to give you four myth busters about problems so let's go to number one. Problems are inevitable. If you'll notice the verse, it says, whenever you face trials. The scripture doesn't say, if you encounter problems, consider it joy. It says, whenever you have problems, consider it joy. Jesus said this. He says, in the world, you will have problems. Let's do this. It ought to be real fun. How many of you have had trials in the last week? Would you raise your hand? No matter what level they are, you've had trials. Now, if you didn't raise your hand, then check your pulse, if you will. I want to make sure you're still alive, all right? You will have problems. I don't know when they're going to Going to come, but they are inevitable. We're all going to have them. Even Peter said this, don't be surprised when you have problems. Now I'm sometimes surprised because it does catch me off guard. I had a flat tire and I drove on a flat tire unknowing it all the way from the... Um, uh, post office downtown all the way to the end of H1 East until someone told me I had a flat tire. That was a problem. I pulled off, no problem at all. I had a spare. Put the spare on before I could get back on the highway. That went flat too. So I'm going to have problems, all right? We all have problems. Now, a flat tire is not like being told that you have cancer. It is not like going to work tomorrow and finding out that they downside and you've got a pink slip. I know that's just a flat tire. But we're all going to have problems, and Jesus said that, and Peter said that. Even Scott Peck in his book, The Road Less Travel*. the very first sentence says, life is difficult. And I'd say, yeah, you know, life is difficult. You know what, in the Bible alone there's an entire book written about a man who had trials. Now think about it, he lost all of his family, he lost all of his real estate, he lost all of his business, even his own friends were miserable counselors, and he had a wife that said, why don't you just curse God, why don't you just die, you know, now how would you like that, that's problems, okay, that's not a good day, that's far more than a bad hair day. And that's what he had in his life. You're going to have problems. We're going to have problems. They're inevitable. But this passage also teaches us, secondly, that problems are unpredictable. It says, whenever you face trials... Now, if I took you back to the original language, you're going to find that the word face there means unexpectedly, or to fall into it unexpectedly. Those of you that have been in your Bible a little bit longer, that same Greek word is the word that is used when, if you remember the Good Samaritan story about that man who fell among thieves unexpectedly. He was living his life. All of a sudden, thieves came, beat him up so badly, they left him for dead, and then the rest of the story goes on. Now, that man in that story, he too had a problem. Okay, it happened unexpectedly to him. He did not know it was happening. It was unpredictable, and it happened to him as well. So we don't know when our problems are going to come. They too are going to come in a very multifaceted way just like that, unexpectedly. I read of a story recently. I'd like to know if it's true. I hope it wasn't, but it might very well be. A man was in New York, and he decided to take his first subway ride. And when he took the subway ride, the subway was so jammed with people, the only place he could stand was by the door. And while he stood by the door, the subway train is going by so rapidly, he got motion sickness. And some of you know what it's like to have motion sickness or seasickness. He was so sick. Now, the next thing that happened, the door opened up at one of the stops. And when it did, the first man in line got this man who was sick lunch. Now, you can read between the lines. Now, that's bad for that man to be sick and how embarrassed he was, but I can only imagine the man who was first in line, and those doors opened up, and the first thing he saw flying at him was fill in the blank. All right, the point being is, problems can come unexpectedly. We know that they're going to happen. They're inevitable. Number three, problems can come in a variety of ways. It says the trials are of many kinds of trials. Again, in the Greek, that means multicolored trials. It doesn't mean that it's only one color, they're all different kinds, all different shapes and sizes. Some of them will be inconveniences like I mentioned earlier, and some of them are going to be horrific problems. It will not go away, it may never go away until we leave planet Earth here. There's many kind of problems that we will have. There's a lot more than 31 flavors of it. They come in all different shapes and sizes. So for just a moment what I'd like you to do, if you will, in your mind's eye, I would like you to think about through the rest of this message because of that, the particular trial that you're going through now that you cannot get around and you cannot get through, it is there and it will take somewhat, we might call, a miracle of God to remove it. Is it with your fitness right now, a chronic problem that no matter how hard you try, it's not going away? Is it with a family member who is uh, tough on you, a marriage, a parent, a child, a relative, a family member that you can't get around, that person is just enslaved with an issue that is confounding your relationship? Is it with a friend or maybe a former friend now and you're struggling with that and it's a trial because you still have to face that friend at work or wherever you might be in the community or maybe a neighbor? Could it be with your finances that truly it is tough on this island and I don't need to paint you that picture, just pick up any newspaper and you know that it's probably not going to get any better for a long time and more than likely will get worse. And this is a trial. You don't know how you're going to make it. You're starting to get nervous to make your house payment, the electric payment, all the things that are going on with your kids. And I could go on and on and on. Think about whatever that trial is. Now take that with you, with me, through the rest of this message. Shall we do that? Here's the fourth myth buster, and that is problems have purpose. I want you to now begin to think that whatever you're going through right now is still permitted by a loving, sovereign God. Now I said that pretty rapidly, but boy, if you get that, you've got the rest of the message and go home. Whatever trial you have has been given to you by a very loving, sovereign God, and it definitely has problems. The verse goes on to say, Because you know that the testing of your faith Develops. Now, you could circle the word develops. In other words, the trial that you have, the testing that you have right now, it is developing something. All right, so there's purpose in this thing. And there are three purposes behind your problems. The first one is the problems will purify your faith. The testing will purify your faith. It'll make you stronger. Remember the gentleman I mentioned to you earlier? His name was Job that had the problem with the loss of property, the loss of business, loss of family, loss even of friends, we might say, or the depth of friendship. Here's what he said. He said, the Lord has tested me through the refining fire and I have come out as pure as gold. When God brings us through the fire, what he wants to do is to develop character in our life. He wants to build disciples and not necessarily just be building buildings. And so he does that by putting us through the fire. Now, I would think most of you have not gone through a physical fire burning situation. But I would think for a moment you could, in your mind's eye again, know what it would be like going through a fire. It is so hot, there's so much pain in this thing, you don't know when it's going to end, and you know what's ever happening, it's going to change your life forever. That's kind of the fire. Now when it does, though, whatever it might be, God is saying, I'm permitting that to you because I see you... Divinely designed by me, beginning in your mother's womb, giving you life, bringing you here, having you hear this message, because I have something wonderful that's going to happen through your life for me. Now watch this. When you hear something wonderful, we immediately start thinking, oh, a better marriage, better kids, more money, greater health. And that's not it at all. The deeper thing is the deeper work of the joy that he wants us to have, the peace that he wants us to have, the the ability to go through all of this and not curse God, but cry out unto God and enjoy His presence forevermore. And so that's very good. Now, as you came in today, you'll notice that I gave you a tea bag. Would you like to get out that tea bag for a moment and just kind of pull it out? Now some of you might be thinking, "Oh, they're going to bring some hot water because this sermon's going to go long. No, they're not going to bring you hot water, And yes, possibly this sermon will go long. But I wanted you to have this tea bag and pull it out for just a moment. You know, as I look at this particular tea bag, and I see this, I think of Christians. Because a Christian is a lot like a tea bag; It's not until they go into hot water do you really know what's inside, and then you really know. What's really inside of you, the real test of your mettle as a mother is going to be when you struggle with your kids and you still maintain your woman, Christian, motherhood, integrity, godly. When you men go through the crucible of fire on your job and you still hold up your high because you didn't use profanity, you didn't curse God, you didn't buy into the world's view, you took that trial with a sense of dignity and integrity, not denial, but you went through it with faith, knowing that God has a greater purpose in it and that you're going to look at it from God's point of view instead of the world's point of view. And so as you hold this up, you might ask yourself, as a teabag would go into hot water of trial, if I was to call, called upon to go through hot water this afternoon on the way home, tomorrow when I go to work, next week when I'm at school, will I come out? the kind of Christian that God wants me to have. God says that the trials that we have have tremendous amount of purpose and really it is to purify our faith. And I hope that your faith is being purified through that. Number two is to fortify our patience. We talked a lot about patience here a moment ago, but I want you to think about it again for a moment. It is to fortify our patience. Endurance today is very, very rare, and God wants us to teach us patience. Now, you've all heard the joke, you don't want to pray for patience because we know that it's through tribulation that God gives us patience. And we all laugh about that, but it is true. But if you go to the rest of the verse, it says we get the trials, we get the patience, and that's the perfect work as we become more and more like Christ. Now, think about that with me for a moment. We go through the trials to help us out. You know, how does God teach me Patience. He puts me in a traffic jam, and now He is looking at me, testing me to see if I see that traffic jam as some lesson in there that God wants me to learn. He puts me in a long line, or the wrong line, (laughs) at the the, uh, grocery store. Whatever it might be, it is God's way to say, I am testing you. And for me, not you, but for me, when I go through those little, those are just inconveniences. And God's teaching me patience, because folks, I have trouble with patience, I'm one of those guys that my mom, and she had the microphone today, she said, my little boy Stanley would always want to run before he could ever walk. And now I'm 60, and I want to do more than I could ever do before. And God says, no, I want you to be still and know that I'm here, so I'm putting you through a trial, so I'm putting the brakes on your life. I'm letting you slow down so that you could really dig deep and know who I am, and this trial is for your good and my glory. And what I need to do then is to say, this is doing a work in me. You know that whole idea of patience isn't bite the bullet like that old western who's going to have something cut out of him. It's that cowboy's biting that bullet. But for you and me, we're to do it with joy. It's to stand. Listen carefully. When we go through this to fortify our patience, when we go through the trial, what do you think is the normal reaction when we go through some trials? The normal reaction is to flee from them. Flee from a marriage, flee from a job, flee from the trials. And sometimes God says, In certain kind of trials, you need to stay right there and gain as much as I have for you. Listen to the phrase. The trial of your faith is more precious than gold. We all say amen to that. If that's true, and it is, then that could mean that the more trials I have and the more I endure that trial, the more gold result in my life it will bring. So here's my prayer. My prayer is, Lord, get me out of this trial. My prayer is this. Lord, give me the patience to cheerfully endure this until I've learned every lesson I possibly can. And once that's done, then you remove the trial in your way. Watch. Because once I make it through that trial, that was like through my freshman year of trial college. Because then I go to sophomore year of trial college. And then my junior year of trial college. And I'm going to be in God's school of trials as I go up the ladder. But you know what? It's an education I'm getting so that I become more useful in my ministry and life for Him. Those trials are part of God's wonderful purpose. So with patience and endurance, we stand fast in them. We don't run quickly from them. All right. let's look at another one. Number three, problems sanctify our character. It also means to set us apart. They're to make us more like Christ. they help me to grow in maturity. God's number one purpose in my life, in your life, is to make us like Christ. You know the verse that says, all things work together for good to those that are called according to his purpose. And later on it says that we might be conformed to the image of Christ. When that phrase says all things, we like to think all good things. Actually, it says all things. The good, the bad, and the ugly, including the trials, have purpose to make us more and more like Christ. So right now, Go back to the trial that you put in your mind's eye, and I want you to just say, Lord, I want to thank you at this very moment for the trial that you've given to me. I want, though, you to help me to get through this trial and learn every spiritual lesson I can. Make me a better woman. Make me a better mother. Make me a better wife. Make me a better man. Make me a better husband. Make me a better father. Lord, make me like you. And I'm going to tell you that God's going to say that's the kind of trial. You're responding right. So don't fight God's scalpel in your life while he's trying to dig out of your life something that shouldn't be there. You lay there, allow God to bring that about, and you'll have healing. On the other side, sometimes he's going to cut into you not to take something that you've done wrong out of your life, so don't walk with all guilt, but let God operate on you with the scalpel of a trial because he wants to put something in your life to enhance your life, to give you both quality of life and a quantity of spiritual life. But allow God, that great physician, to use the balm in Gilead to touch your heart and soul, to make you exactly what God wants you to be. You have purpose. You're important. You're special with God. And that's why He's making you the way He is. There's two things that He often uses to help sanctify our character. One is the Word of God. So the more you're in God's Word, it'll help you. So in other words, God says, I've given you the trials so you'll learn the word. When you learn the word, you become more usable, more effective for me and for my glory. So the trial is just bringing us into the word. But sometimes when we go through trials, we get angry at God, don't we? And God says, no, just rest in him. The second thing that he uses would be the circumstances of life. And there are a lot of circumstances of life that he'll choose to use in our life. And whatever they might be. He's a doctor that when you need surgery, he doesn't take the scalpel. As much as you might feel the pain, he's not a mean doctor. He takes it, he knows exactly what you need, and with the the scalpel held by a hand of the greatest lover that you'll ever have, he begins to cut through the issues. Feeling your pain as if he was cutting on himself with that trial to put something in, to take something out, so that you then...